the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Great to be with you today. Uh, today, well, we're going to, we've got a couple of guests. We're going to solve what happened in this country. And it's not going to surprise you to hear what happened, but it's going to help you to understand it. I'll give you a preview. It's going to help to hear other people that are experts. Selena Zito, the great writer, journalist, and John Schlafly, who writes his weekly column over at townhall.com. We're going to describe what just happened. It feels like the country's divided, 50-50 maybe, but that's not actually true. And I'm going to, my argument is it's about 55-60 to 40, maybe 55-45-60 to 40, in terms of what people believe, the new sort of Trump coalition, and the future is brighter for Republicans because, excuse me, their, their coalition is so unique. So we'll talk about that. All right, before we get to that, though, we need, I need to get you what you need to know, what you need to know. And I'll tell you what you need to know today. I want to go back to something that you need to understand. And the understanding, the thing that you need to understand is that there is a, a ongoing movement, ongoing movement, um, and it is a movement to try to persuade you that, uh, the, uh, that the reality you must participate in is conceding the election, concession. The, the reality that is being over and over, if you watch on the news, you know, Wolf Blitzer retweeted on, on Twitter a message of a, the headline of the New York Times that said a nationwide uh, review finds no election fraud. So that's one thing. Not enough fraud. That's another thing they say. And then they say it, it's the American thing to concede. The American thing is not, by the way, it's not the Constitution. And it's an ongoing effort. And at the heart of the effort is shutting down a conversation about how bad the election fraud was. Now, do I know that the election fraud was sufficient to change the election? I don't know that. I don't know that. I cannot sit, sit at the microphone and say, I know that. But I can tell you this. Somebody who tells you to stop asking about the problem of fraud and tells you to just move on because they think it's not reasonable for you to think about voter fraud, that's not somebody that's serious. And I read somewhere today, or maybe I heard it, someone said something like, you know, um, the reality, uh, the when the Democrats thought, well, we're going to do these mail-in ballots, we'll do all the usual sort of silly stuff we do with voting people and absentee ballots, but mail-in, we'll have tens of millions of mail-in. And then the Republicans, they lost the race and they went, oh man, that doesn't look right. And then the Democrats thought they would just concede. And instead, the American people are saying, no, we'd like to check into that. Well, we'd like to find out exactly why that worked the way it did. Because here's what you know. It's not what you need to know. It's what you know already. In nearly every part of the country, including California, in house races, 
but also in races for state legislatures in New Hampshire, the legislatures, the state legislatures went Republican in places. Pennsylvania lost two statewide elections. Now, even though people thought Pennsylvania was in play for the president, most people thought that the Republicans, uh, the Democrats had the advantage statewide because they, they've been the Democrats have for about four years been able to run statewide candidates for Supreme Court races, for governor And they lost two statewide races. Republicans won. So over and over across the country, we had a shift, a a larger effort, a larger turnout. And uh, because the uh, because of the the number of people who voted in what I'd call the Trump coalition, the Trump coalition, which is, you know, pro-life, pro-family, pro-opportunity for America. That's all true. But the real sort of um, bat signal of the pro of the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the Trump movement is the kind of America first. And, and two characteristics. One, no more foreign entanglements, whether war or, you know, war or WHO, right? Whether war or the uh, World Health Organization, right? No more foreign entanglements. That's number one. Number two, America first in terms of giving me a chance, giving you a chance, giving everybody on the radio listening now a chance. That America first, you know, American jobs, American uh, entrepreneurial openings, American oil, American fracking, America, whatever. It's just a sense that, hey, we're that coalition, the Trump coalition, there was a lot more African-Americans, Hispanic-Americans, Asian-Americans in that group because... Of that, what, what that meant to people. So the fact is that there's something happening in this country that is very, very exciting and very serious and all that. And the media is trying desperately to tell you to stop. Stop, concede, and see if, um, if we just can move on. I call it the Van Jones coup. Van Jones did a video where he said, if you use the Constitution and the rule of law to figure out the election, you're committing a legal coup. Can you imagine? These people are crazy. But, but, the reality is we're being conditioned, we're being uh, kind of brainwashed in one direction. And what you have to do is pull back. And I can tell you this. Let's see. Do I know how many hours from now? In the next few hours... Well, let me say it broadly. Next 12 hours, 12 to 24 hours, give myself some space. You will have revelations about the election that will, pardon me, shake your understanding of what happened. It may not reverse the election. I can't say that for sure. But it will certainly shake your understanding of what happened. It will make you think to yourself, "Uh uh-huh. It wasn't a few hundred people who were dead who voted, or even a few thousand, and that won't change the election. It will introduce enough uncertainty that it will make you think, wow, maybe they stole this thing. That's coming in the next 12 to 24 hours. And when that happens, the the left is hoping you've conceded. The the left is hoping you've given up. The left is desperately hoping hoping that Trump does. They certainly don't want that to happen. But the reality is the Constitution does not have in it the need to concede within a week or two. What it has in it 
is a, a specialized set of circumstances that happen that are checks and balances that are put in place to make it so that when you move forward at this time, you do it in a way that is very clear. And it's called, you know, and by the way, let me go one second for digress for a second. There was a famous, uh, the, 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 there should be a more famous uh, discussion of one of the founders of our nation. His, he was, his name is David Breeley. And he was, uh, David Breeley was from, uh, I think he was from New Jersey. I think he served in the New Jersey militia. But he, um, he was a lawyer, I think. But he was assigned to be the chairman of the Committee on Postponed Parts at the Constitutional Convention and the Continental Congress. Um, and and the, the Continental Congress. And when the Continental Congress met, he was assigned that. And any time they got something that couldn't be settled, they sent it to that committee. So that all sorts of things. He's the guy that came up, I mean, had to manage the details to get the Electoral College. And when he got it figured out, Breeley is the one who kind of cut this deal and made it all happen. But here's the point. Over all these centuries, two plus centuries, the, the Electoral College and the Constitution in all kinds of ways has been sort of uh, vibrant enough, strong but stretchy. It's not been like doctrinaire where the country goes, no, no, we can't do that. It's allowed enough movement, enough flexing, amendments added, amendments rescinded, all those kinds of things, that it works. And we have, the reality is, we have a system, the Constitution and the Rule of Law, to settle these kinds of moments and if we get to the point, I've said it before, I did, I did an interview today, I said this, Whoopi Goldberg is yelling that we're supposed to grow a pair, as Whoopi Goldberg says, grow a pair and concede the election, accept the results. And my return retort to Whoopi Goldberg is this, let's let the process operate the way it's supposed to, the rule of law, the constitution, we know the timeline, it won't take too long, and when that's done... If Biden's the winner, I agree to accept it. If Trump's the winner, she agrees to accept that. Do you think she will? Do you think they have boarded up buildings in big cities because they believe it'll work out? I don't think so. I don't think so. All right, that's my point. That's what you got to think about. Remember, don't fall for it. Fight through it. Go to townhall.com. Go to uh, ourtheanswersandiego.com. Listen to Andrea Kay and myself and just fight through it because don't fall for the call. To concede, it's not in the Constitution, instead return to the Constitution, no concession. All right, we'll take a break. When we come back, we'll talk with Selena Zito and John Schlafly, and we'll uh, figure all this out. Be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report, and it's just time we'll get it all explained to us in just a few moments. Go to selenazito.com, selenazito.com, and sign up for her regular emails where Selena is a journalist. She publishes at, at uh, the Washington Examiner, Wall Street Journal, New York Post, uh, appears on CNN. So, Selena, what happened? Well, if you remember, you had me on, I think it was Election Day. Was it Election Day? I don't know. It feels like 33 years ago. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but sure does. But you asked me what's happening in, what was happening in Pennsylvania. And I said, I did not believe that Joe Biden had a huge lead. If anything, the race felt like a jump ball. And that's right. exactly what we saw. 
what is astounding to me as I'm going through the numbers, and not all the numbers are final yet, but as I go through the numbers that are available, uh, Republicans and Democrats turned out in force. Uh, and both coalitions, uh, the Democrats is more ascendant, uh, which means it's, it's concentrated on minorities, young people, and women, and college-educated um, voters. And the um, Republican coalition is very much... Uh, what I just, we described in the book, uh, The Great Revolt. It's, it's a much more complex and, and um, diverse uh, coalition. Uh, but both of them were robust. Both of them turned out. Uh, and uh, what I think is so fascinating in my state is that while Joe Biden has the lead down ballot, Democrats suffered great losses. Uh, uh, in, in state legislative races for House and Senate. They were supposed to, everyone said they were going to take um, the majority in both chambers in this state. They didn't, not only did they not win the races that they were competing in, they lost ones they weren't supposed to. They also lost right. two, two statewide um, uh, row offices, Auditor General and Treasurer, with candidates that had zero money, and their candidates had millions. Um, so I think the lesson from Pennsylvania right now, and it's very reflective of what we see across the country, is despite all the pressure that culture put on, in particular, suburban voters, rural voters really, you know, pay no mind to it, but suburban right. voters... You know, they were really pressured by culture. They couldn't walk down their street without seeing a hate has no place here sign or put on their phone and not be scolded uh, or try to watch a football game without being chastised. And yet, despite all that pressure, they voted Republican. Right. So, Selena, is it, if you had to pull back for a second... Does it make sense to you? It, one way to intuit this is that there were people that were sick of the Democrats and didn't think they were in the right direction, but they just didn't like Trump. I mean, is that the way you? That's about the only Absolutely. you know way to explain. It was, yeah, yeah, it was his comportment, uh, and it was. And, and by the way, it's not wasn't an overwhelming rejection of it. Right, right. incredibly close, uh, and and you have to wonder. Who these voters are, I suspect these are voters that were most impacted by COVID, uh, and not huh. and did not, be, you know, you know, who had very uh, familiar um, experiences with COVID, whether it was with an elderly parent, they lost their job, they're trapped at home, uh, and and they saw his his comportment on the issue, in particular in that first debate. And and they just rejected him, and I think that hmm. was that was the moment where everything sort of broke, just enough broke away for him to lose. Not a lot, mind you. More republic, more more voters showed up in twenty twenty than they did in twenty sixteen, and he got more votes than he did four years ago. So it's not like he lost his coalition. He just lost enough of it to um, to make this race razor thin. 
We're talking with Selena Zito. Again, go to selenazito.com and you can get uh, you can follow her there. And when you sign up, she'll send you an email when her many, uh, many times a week when she's publishing that uh, she publishes and you'll get she'll send you an email to remind you. Um, Selena, uh, I talked to somebody up in Wisconsin this, uh, I don't know, yesterday morning, I think it was. And I was he was saying to me, he's an old hand in the thing. He said, look. He said, right now, there's some things that don't look exactly the same as usual, but the, but when people see like fraud in Milwaukee, he's like, we've been burned in Milwaukee for years and we, you know, we've gone and dug into it and it just doesn't seem likely that it's going to change dramatically. When you look across the span, just to Pennsylvania now, forget the rest of the country for a moment, even though I know you've reported from many of these states because they have similar experiences that, as you mentioned in your book, The Great Revolt. Um, but in Pennsylvania, which you know best from your, you know, you're living there for so long as your home state. Is there more fraud, less fraud? Do we see it differently because of social media? Do you have any uh, sense? I mean, it looks, if you open up, you, you, you pry down under the underbelly of some of these things, it's not very pleasant. But so what's your sense of what we're seeing? So there's always been uh, hanky-panky, right? But it's, right, um, right. <laughs> for lack of a better way to put it, or shenanigans, whatever you want to say. And certainly that is not something that should be accepted. I think whatever happens with President Trump, I think him peeling off the scab on this is is just part of his long legacy uh, and and important. Um, But, uh, you know, uh, I I don't know that there is uh, the larger problem we have um, with our voting system is incompetency. We put right. we our, our one of our most important treasures as an American is our vote, and yet we are complacent in allowing incompetent people to handle it. And and I think that that is the the larger lesson of every election cycle. Every election cycle we go through this, and while I don't mm-hmm. know if it's enough to change a vote. It's certainly not something that should be accepted by any member of any party. We're talking with Selena Zito. Now, Selena, you've also you've seen and you mentioned uh, the state treasurer. That's the one I was surprised at the statewide races in Pennsylvania. I I figured the the Pennsylvania Democrats had figured out how to win. You know, they won a bunch of Supreme Court races. Uh, They'd won the governor's race. Even when they had tough races, they sort of knew how to do it. So that was a big one. But um, but so slide down now that the Alaska was called. So it's 50 senators, 50 U.S. senators, Republicans. Now there's two that are going to be a special election in Georgia. How does the um, how does the, the the Donald Trump the MAGA message uh, go forward now? I mean, I mean, we're obviously we're going to have uncertainty until this election is you know the Constitution's invoked and it's totally settled. But is, you know, where's the movement that was in the Great Revolt in your book and all? Where's that? Where does that sit as we go forward? Well, it's, I mean, it's the, the the coalition is bigger, uh, it's more diverse, it's browner, uh, and and they remember as I wrote in the book. I hope everyone gets it. The Great Revolt, because it literally can show you exactly what it is. Um, it this movement began way before Donald Trump, and he wasn't the result. He wasn't uh, the cause of it. He was the result of it. American coalitions have about a 60-year lifetime, lifespan. Uh, this this uh-huh. coalition will go on for a very, very long time. It's not going away anywhere soon. And the forces that cause it are things like big tech 
and big government and and uh, institutions that uh, and expertise that have failed people across the generations. They show no sort of um, um, pivot towards trying to fix the reasons people don't trust them. And because of that, this coalition will only get bigger. It won't shrink or go away. So here's so let me let me try this. If you basically can say, and let's just go ahead and say, when you get as close as you are in Pennsylvania, it's a fifty. It's basically a tie, and and I think across the country, it's the country. It's a kind of electoral tie. That doesn't really mean that there's fifty percent for each side, but probably there's like forty five percent for each side. But it, as you just said, it feels to me like Donald Trump paid a price for COVID for the economy, and maybe if I can say. But he paid a price because the media was so united in 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 allowing things like to me the the great uh, one of the great insulting ones especially uh, you know when we saw the president on Veterans Day his his uh, you know when they said the the four sources said he said soldiers that died in the war are losers or whatever but he paid a price so if you take away COVID and, I, and this is ridiculous I know I'm not talking about the election I'm talking about the coalition take away COVID take away some of the way they beat up Trump and made him seem bad. It feels to me like the coalition that's kind of America first is more like 55% or I don't know more, but you know, it, it, it feels like a majority in the country because it, within it are the people that want less wars. Is that, what do you think of that? Oh yeah, absolutely. Again, I, I would I really urge people to go to my website, com and check out the past five stories that I've written. Uh, and, it's, and it's not just me being out there interviewing people. It's compiled with data. The country is redder than it was down ballot than it was a week ago. The country is center-right. And, then, and there was this fear that culture and the media were pushing it left. And it not only pushed back, it went further right. So if you're sitting at home and you're a conservative and you think Joe Biden won, um, the country's going far left, you, it's, it's the devil's in the details. You really need to go down ballot and look at these races. And I peeled that back and, and uh, I just went to Michigan. I was in Ohio. I was in West Virginia. Uh, and, and it shows um, and, and with throughout my state, um, the, the state, the, the country has moved right not left. Yeah. Well, I'm looking at, are those pieces the ones I'm, I think I, I clicked through selenazito.com and it went, took you to the Washington Examiner. Is that the, the series of pieces that you wrote there of three or four yeah. or four, four or five in a row? Pieces, yeah. In the past week. Yeah. That really okay, laid good. out what happened. All right, I'm going to go do my homework. All right, Selena Zito, thank you very much. SelenaZito.com, as always. Hey, are you going to write a new book? Are you going to, I mean, are you going to go now and do what you did uh, with the last book, dig into this and see, or how, what do you think? I mean, I probably have already been writing this book, huh? <laughs> uh, uh, I guess so, probably so. All right, okay. SelenaZito.com. Thanks, Selena. We'll talk again soon. Have a great day. Thanks so much for having me. Bye-bye. All right, we'll take a quick break. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego.
Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We now go to John Schlafly. John is half of the Schlafly Report, a weekly column that posts over at townhall.com and runs all over the country, actually. And also you can go to phyllisschlafly.com and get the uh, the column archive, weekly column, in the tradition of the late Phyllis Schlafly, wrote a weekly column for many, many decades. Uh, John, welcome back to the program. The title, the headline, excuse me, the title on this, Don't Concede to Fake Votes. First, John... Um, week, you know, we're a week plus after the week and a day or so after the election. What's your feeling now about what happened, what you see, the number of votes for Biden, uh, not only talking about the election fraud, but just in general, the country, uh, you know, we just had Selena Zito on who wrote the book, The Great Revolt. And she talked about this coalition of, of Trump voters that is, um, unique, but what's your feeling now a week or so out? Well, Ed, first of all, uh, uh, you know, the election is not over. Uh, I mean, states are still in the process of tabulating, calculating, counting, recounting, canvassing, and all those different things. And and they're mm-hmm. allowed to do that. Uh, I believe when all is said and done that uh, Donald Trump will win re-election uh, when all the illegal votes are disqualified. I believe hundreds, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of uh, ballots were illegally counted and should be disqualified. That's what I expect to happen. Right. So Trump is right not to concede at this point. And the drumbeat to declare Biden a president-elect is just wrong. The media doesn't determine the president-elect. That's not determined until the Electoral College meets, which is still a month off. That's December the 14th. Well, John, I want to ask you a different question. I want to, I'll go back to your column, I promise. But I want to ask you, we're talking with John Schlafly. Um, John, in some sense, the Republican Party moved dramatically. And then a whole bunch of new people came to the Republican Party. They moved to a position of less intervention in the world, right? Less reliance on global institutions, things like the Paris Climate Accord and the UN Human Rights Council, and then wars. Less war is what people wanted. More putting our own people first, you know, dramatically so, and uh, and economically a kind of um, you know a, a willingness to reset major institutions, NAFTA, uh, tax code, in favor of America, and and so when you look at the coalition of voters, they it, it's it looks to me like more than fifty percent of the country, even with the big states like uh, California, New York. Because I think that some people voted against Trump because of the media and some people voted against Trump because of COVID. And then I think some people stole votes. And so but it's a big move, John, to catch on to yeah. that the country moved towards the Trump position on major issues. Do you see that? I absolutely do. And uh, and the Republican Party, is, I believe, is totally behind Trump now. When you know, when Trump ran, uh, people said that he was heretical toward the traditional Republican position on those issues you, you just named, but it's, but that's the core position now, and uh, you know, I'm afraid that uh, some of Trump's voters may have been disappointed that Trump didn't go further, you know, we yeah. still have troops yeah. in Afghanistan and the Middle East, uh, Trump, I think it was up to him they would be gone, uh, but Trump couldn't buy in from the Pentagon, that's the deep state, uh, you know, he's just fired the defense secretary, and I really expect there will be moves before, you know, within the next month on that front to complete what President Trump started. 
Well, and, and, and I guess what I'm saying is, uh, you know, in the midst of all these other discussions, and I happen to agree with you, I, and, and we're, again, we're talking with John Schlafly, and the column is, uh, the title is Don't Concede to Fake Votes over at townhall.com. Uh, you can find it. But I, I agree with you, and I think there's real reason to wonder in this case about the voter fraud. I think it's different than everybody who's ever run a race knows there's irregularities, even fraud. There's something bigger here. But I, I'm, I'm pointing back to this thing, though, that it's almost impossible to think five years ago that the majority of the country would be in favor of what I would call, you know, the, the Trump positions on these major issues. That's extraordinary. And, and you know, one question, uh, uh, one reason to think that's true is so many down-ballot races won by the Republican Party candidates. You know, people think that voters, you know, figure out who the congressman is and all that, and they're persuaded by the ads. It's sort of true, but it also sort of is true that the cycle you're running in has a certain flavor. And this flavor was heavily towards Republicans. I mean, they picked up seats in the House. Nobody thought that was going to happen. Well, I think you're absolutely right, uh, uh, Ed. And, and it's notable that uh, Joe Biden still doesn't get it. Of course, he's a figure from the past. He's living in the past. And, you know, he's pretending that he won the election. And he's already saying that the day of America first is over, that Biden plans to reengage with all the world institutions, whether it has to do with the U.N. or climate change or the, uh, uh, the Paris Agreement and, and, and uh, all of those things. And the public, you know, the public is not going to support that. And I think that, you know, Biden will soon, soon learn that. He hasn't learned that, I guess. He should have learned it. Well, I mean, that's a question. And again, all right, now let's go back to this election stuff, John. Um, you and I have talked over this last week or so a lot about this. And you say, well, okay, you know, the, and, you, and we've watched the media manipulate the American people. The first they say, well, there's nothing to see here. And then they say, well, of course, there's a few things, but it's not widespread. And then they say, well, it, it may be that it's very common. It's in almost every jurisdiction, but it's not enough to change the election. And, you know, they go down this sort of funnel, this kind of uh, funnel of understanding and try to put you in a corner where you're like, yes, so see, do you accept it? You know, you should concede now. And don't even try to worry about the Constitution. I guess my question to you, John, is what makes you feel? I have a feeling about it. And what makes you think? What do you see that this is different than other elections? Well, uh, you, you start with the the massive amount of voting by mail. You know, we've never had this before in American history. Now, people talk about the four or five votes uh, states that have been conducting mail balloting. All right, but. None of those states are uh, are battleground states or close states. We've never had uh, twenty, anywhere from twenty to sixty percent of ballots being cast by mail in forty-five out of the fifty states, and that is just a recipe for disaster. I believe that there uh, and, and and many of the states that were run by Democrats, they dispensed with safeguards. You know, if you're going to have absentee balloting balloting, there's got to be extra safeguards. There's a lot of paperwork associated with that. The ballot has to be uh, requested. A form, Forms have to be filled out. It has to be signed, certified, witnessed. And, uh, right. and then all of those uh, papers have to be verified by some official in the election office. Well, none of that was done. First of all, there was not enough time and not enough people to even do it, even if they wanted to. But the Democrats made it, tried to make it sure that it would not be required. And so in many states, there are just 
tens to hundreds of thousands of mail ballots that are insecure and not properly verified. And um, so we've never had that before, and so it's not, it's a different kind of voter irregularity or vote fraud. It was done in mass, and uh, um, we now have to, after the fact, to review all of that and and uh, and make and make the decision that those you know ballots are not reliable, mm-hmm. and that we need to the reliable votes were the people who showed up in person on election day, face to face with the election judge, who witnessed their signatures and who took the ballots from their hands. That's how I voted, and uh, yeah. those are the votes that are reliable. It's um, I agree. And, and I think, you know, to, uh, we're talking with John Schlafly again. Uh, the, the, the problem is people don't, you know, I've always said this. I know people get sick of it. They, they hear it. If you've heard it over and over again, but I repeat it because it's really, well, it's wise. But when I ran the board of elections, I was chairman of the board of elections. We had two. We, I, I discovered you have to have two priorities. One, you have to run the system. Well, honestly, you got to get practice. It's hard to do. And two, people have to believe it's run well. And, you know, in this case, it feels like it's hard to believe this system was run well. And, and John, I wonder about this. Even if you counted, and now we have the media that spent so much time telling everybody to concede, 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 and the media counts it, uh, most of the country, a lot of the country, a plurality is going to think that system doesn't work. All right, John, I gotta, I'm out of time. John Schlafly, as always, the Schlafly Report. Uh, you need to read that one. Don't concede to fake votes. John and Andy Schlafly over at townhall.com and also at phyllisschlafly.com, all archived there. Thanks, John, for your time. Thank you, Ed. All right, we'll take a quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, presenting a daily conservative pro-family perspective since 1983 and continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. And now, from the archives of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, here is Phyllis Schlafly. The value of early childhood education is a concept that continues to gain support. But it's not just about worthwhile goals, such as reading readiness. Some promoters of pre-kindergarten classes have very different agendas, and some are definitely radical. For example, some of the early childhood advocates are promoting social justice. That's the ideology that America is an unjust, oppressive nation. Others promote burdening little kids with various climate challenges that are said to be confronting the planet. For example, an anthology called Rethinking Early Childhood Education actively promotes a social justice agenda, instructing teachers to raise awareness in their classrooms about the ways gender labels can be confusing. The textbook says, and I quote, Between three and five years of age, children try to figure out what aspects of self remain constant. They wonder, will I always be a girl or boy? Somehow I never had a child who wondered about that. But anyway, this sort of discussion raises questions of gay and lesbian identity, as well as bisexual and transgender roles. 
Introducing children to transgender identities certainly empowers teachers with opportunities to frame the ways that children perceive the world and their role in it. Education journals, such as the National Association for the Education of Young Children, direct teachers to adapt stories and songs to reflect and include gay and lesbian families, while warning that silence on this issue will have damaging outcomes for children. Other Training for Teachers offers programs for teachers to teach the kids about racism and white privilege. Left-wing activist groups have many strategies to train teachers who are going into the field of early childhood education. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. The liberal agenda is corrupting classrooms in colleges and schools across the country. If you're a parent, teacher, or administrator who really cares about our children, we promise to keep you informed at phyllisschlafly.com. And let us hear from you at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Let me give a salute. A salute. I've been talking all the last couple of days about veterans and I want to, for Veterans Day, a sort of a celebration. At, during Veterans Day, I took a trip. I went over to uh, near uh, Arlington Cemetery. Didn't go to Arlington Cemetery, but to a uh, memorial there. Let me just give a salute, a special salute to veterans. My brother is a veteran, great hero, went to uh, Marine Corps, went to the uh, Afghanistan, Afghanistan wars, Iraqi wars. He was a, he's a hero, and he's um, retired from the military. He's a firefighter now up in Massachusetts. Salute all the veterans. And I recall my brother's service was, you know, significant taxing. I'm only his brother, and I worried about him all the time. Can you imagine his wife and three daughters? It was a real challenge. Salute to all those veterans and their families, right? They do a ton. But also, I want to point you to, you've heard me talk about him a hundred times on the show. One of the greatest American veterans is General Jack Singlob. John K. Singlob, United States Army, retired. His book is called Hazardous Duty. I'm holding it in my hands. It's a great book. It's fascinating. He was a Jedberg. Okay, so he was in World War II. He was in World War II. He graduated college, and he, he uh, World War II just just starting, and he signs up and goes to, uh, to uh, jump school, and then he gets recruited into the OSS, the precursor to the CIA. But during the wor- World War II, one of the specialized programs was called the Jedbergs. And the Jedbergs were uh, pairs, two, two, men and, uh, two men paired, uh, who were uh, army and, uh, and military trained, and then a third radio operator. And so it was always an American or Brit with a foreign, another one, you know, French or Belgian or whoever, so of the, of the two. And then and the third person could be anything. It could be an American radio operator or whoever. So, you know, groups of three, Jedbergs. And there were about 300 Jedbergs. Uh, sorry, 250 units. So about 750 total. And what did they do with them? They dropped them behind enemy lines in the French, in France and in Europe to lead the fight from behind enemy lines. Can you imagine? The courage it takes. They were all uh, jumpers. They had a parachute out of the building. So this 24-year-old uh, Jack Singlob 
is an army guy. He gets paired off with, I think, a Belgian and an American uh, radio operator. The three of them jump behind enemy lines. Now, I think about 80% of all Jedbergs got executed. They got caught and executed. And in his case, of course, he didn't because I'm telling the story. He's 99 years old and lives in Franklin, Tennessee. He went on to serve in Korea, in Vietnam. He served in the highest levels of the uh, CIA, OSS. Uh, Amazing, amazing man. His book is called Hazardous Duty. I think he's one of the greatest American veterans, American American, uh, fighting men we've ever had. So if you ever get a chance, look him up. Singlob, S-I-N-G-L-A-U-B. General Jack Singlob, extraordinary man. So happy Veterans Day to uh, General Singlob and to all those who serve. Thank you to all of you for listening to the program and for all that you do to make uh, this program a success and the Answer San Diego. Please uh, continue to go to theanswersandiego.com. Thank you to Noah, our great technical director, as well as Joanna, who books the guests. And we will be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then.